elemental forces caused the egg to hatch. From it then came a stone monkey. The nature of monkey was irrepressible. I love to fight! Born from an egg on a mountain top. Ah! He knew every magic under the sun. He's the gods and everyone have some fun. Monkey magic, monkey magic, monkey magic, monkey magic. Well, that was Monkey Magic, one of my favourite shows as a kid. It had badly dubbed dialogue, staged kung fu fighting, and an awesome soundtrack. Plus, my parents wouldn't let me watch it because of the violence, so that just made it seem even more attractive. Now, Monkey was said to be just that. He had begun life as a monkey, uh, and then through learning certain moral lessons, he evolved into a man with sweet warrior skills and a magical cloud that he could fly around on. Now, monkey magic kind of blended evolutionary theory and a little bit of Buddhist wisdom together to make a funky kung fu show. And while we would question all the magic, and definitely his sideburns, the idea of being enlightened to become a human doesn't seem so weird. Now, no scientist would argue that monkey magic gives us a complete and full account of the origins of human beings. But scientist or not, if, if you asked most people today, did humans evolve from monkeys, they would probably just shrug their shoulders and say, yeah, I suppose so. But, but it's actually a massive claim to make, and yet it's one we seem to treat with very little scepticism. Now, we have already considered what it means for God to have made all creatures according to their kinds. And we saw that this idea of kinds actually fits perfectly well with the observable evolution of species. We've seen that species can come and go according to their kind. And one of those kinds are hominids. Now, hominids is a broad category of species that includes what we might call cavemen, as well as chimpanzees and other primates. Now, our fossil record does offer us some very compelling data about the evolution of hominids. The discovery of more and more fossils has allowed us to do that. But there are clear gaps in the fossil record that mean there's no direct link between those primitive hominids and human beings. Most biologists assume that, just as we have found many other fossils that have closed those other gaps in our evidence, well then we will eventually find those remaining fossils that will close the gap between primitive hominids and human beings. But the gap still remains. And it hasn't stopped us just blindly accepting that we are simply smoother, smarter monkeys. Now, the, the similarities between us and monkeys are certainly there, and I'm not just referring to the fact that both of us like roller skating while smoking a cigar. But just because we are similar to monkeys, it doesn't mean we are monkeys, or that monkeys are humans. Now, scientists often measure these similarities at a genetic level. The greater the matchup of DNA, the closer the relationship between two species. 
For example, we share 98% of our DNA with chimpanzees. But would you be comfortable saying that a chimpanzee is just 2% less human than you are? What about dolphins? The, uh, the genetic code in our brains is virtually identical. But are we virtually dolphins? A banana shares 50% of our genetic makeup. Does that make a banana half human? You see, genetic similarities or not, it can begin to feel a little odd to think that you are merely twice as human as the piece of fruit in your lunchbox. Now, there's not one knockdown piece of scientific evidence to say that humans evolved from monkeys, just as there is no knockdown evidence to deny it either. But there are significant gaps in the scientific account of the origins of humans, and they're made even more glaring when we pick up a Bible. I mean, there is clearly a difference in kind to how we were created in Genesis 1. Every creature is spoken of as being made according to their kind. A salmon is made like a salmon, a toad like a toad, a magpie like a magpie. But that's not how we were created. God does not say, let there be people according to their kind. No, he just gets straight to it, saying, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Not the likeness of any other animal, and not according to the kind of hominids, but according to the likeness of God. Verse 27 goes on to say, So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created the male and female. You see, this is a circuit-breaking moment in Genesis 1. Because while all of what God has made so far has been good, and it has come from the weighty word of God, well, now we find a creature on God's earth who bears the very mark of God himself. And it's you and me. Humanity. The process of creatures emerging according to their kinds, well, that's disrupted here by the intervention of God to mark out a unique creature. A creature so different that it is placed above every other creature and is lovingly brought into a likeness with God. So two questions for us to consider this morning. First, how can we believe this? And second, does it matter if I'm not just a smoother, smarter monkey? You see, we've already seen this term that the, the Big Bang a singular moment that changed everything. That moment is generally agreed by scientists to be the best account for how the universe got going. And we've seen that it dovetails well with Genesis 1. So my question is, if science will already accept one singular event that changes everything, why not accept another? Like a species on this planet that is unique and distinct from everything else. That doesn't have to stop scientists and you and me from forming other logical conclusions by observing the regular clockwork movements of our universe. But it does open the possibility to consider who we owe that regularity and order of our universe to. We can owe it to a creator God, one who faithfully maintains its order and only disrupts it in a miraculous fashion as a sign of his love and grace. Now, as a Christian, I don't have a problem with this kind of thinking. 
because I already believe that God has miraculously intervened into history many times. His eternal son became a human and was born to a virgin at Christmas. And that son was the complete image of God and he grew up to turn water into wine, calm storms and then overturn the most consistently, scientifically observable pattern of our existence. Death. He overturned that by returning from the grave. Now over the remaining fortnight, we're going to think about why all of those disruptions to the natural order had to happen in Jesus' life. But for now, as this time of corona crisis grips our hearts, I pray that you will know that it really matters that we are not just smoother, smarter monkeys. You see, if we were just another evolutionary quirk, well then the suffering and death that we are witnessing would just be an adaptation in the global ecosystem. And none of us think that that is what is happening. We all know that the fear, the sorrow and the anxiety are real. And the loss is tragic. There is an infinite value in every human life. And that's why we're being so vigilant with our hygiene and social distancing. But it's also why we are sickened when we see each other act like animals of a toilet paper and pasta. Because we know deep down that it is not humans acting in accordance with their kind when they are reduced to this. We know it is wrong. It is a sign that the image of God has turned wild inside of us and we are choosing savagery over serving others. You see, this deceitfulness of our desires makes us cry out for the image of God to be restored in all of us, not just the sick and the greedy. And we'll see that the gospel answers this cry because Jesus' death and resurrection recreates us with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, in the image of its creator.